You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Stretch pass. Kuzmenko's got a breakaway in a load. He scores! Andre Kuzmenko scores the first overtime winner of his NHL career. You know what? We're not 500 yet. I mean, I think we're playing better. I think we're playing more consistent. But I think there's, you know, there's a lot of steps we can take to become a better team yet. I always try to put myself in his shoes. And I'm like, if I was over there, like, I wouldn't be saying a word. And this guy doesn't shut up. Shut up. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Laddie. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. Uh, Halford and Brough in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell the people more about Kintech and all they have to offer. Well, I know that I have to get down to Kintech. Oh. Because... Are your feet okay? My, my feet are fine. I just need some new shoes, and they got great shoes there. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, known as the footwear part. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Are you going to get some more of those fancy Roger Federer shoes? Yeah, I think so. What are they called? On. On. Are you going to get those LA lights where they light up and flash on the back when you walk away? Or get the the wheels? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. uh, And the heel? Yeah. You need wheel shoes. That's That's not going to get the cops called (laughs) on you really quick. Heelys, they call them. Heelys. Is that what they call them? Yeah. I I call them broken elbows. Who's that tall, skinny guy (laughs) wheeling towards us? (laughs) Very, very slowly. Okay. Big show ahead. Things are a little bit out of order as our usual Monday, but that's okay. You'll figure it out as we go along. So at 6.30, 28 minutes time, Peter Galindo is going to join us from Sportsnet live from Qatar. Uh, there's a lot to unpack, obviously, after Canada was, hey, look, it's us on the TV. After Canada was eliminated from World Cup, moving on to the round of 16 with a 4-1 loss to Croatia yesterday in one of the early games of the round. So we'll talk to Peter about that. We'll almost put... The Canada soccer story on the back burner for now and do the sort of what happened version of that at 6.30 with Peter Galindo. You're going to want to hear that because Peter's got a lot of information, boots on the ground in Qatar, and we've got a lot to say about the game as well. Uh, 7 o'clock, it's going to be IMAC, right? They have switched, so it's 7 o'clock IMAC, who's going to be joining us from San Jose. He has yet to fly home after the Canucks beat the Sharks 4-3 in overtime. Last night. I think everyone on that trip is pretty tired right now, including IMAX. So we'll talk to him at 7 before he departs to come back to Vancouver. Then at 8 o'clock, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us, a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Uh, I believe Josh Jacobs is still running on the Seattle Seahawks as we speak. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, he's he's up to 600 yards now. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. He had a lot of them yesterday. There's a, lot a couple th- pairs of tickets as well to give away today. Yes, that's mention. right. Uh, so if you want to start getting them in now, I've, I don't normally call for What We Learns this early, but hey, what the hell, it's my show. Uh, get your What We Learns in. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? We're going to be giving away tickets every single day for the Florida game. That's correct. Well, there's three games this week. We'll be giving tic- tickets away every day for those. So right. today, so today we're giving away two pairs of tickets to tomorrow's game versus Perfect. the Caps. Okay, so today for, today for tomorrow, and then yes, for the the we've mentioned that Florida game a couple times, the December first, where they're going to uh, celebrate Roberto Luongo and the Sedin's going to the Hall of Fame. That's right. Yeah. So eight o'clock, Mike Tanier, uh, six thirty, Peter Glendo, seven o'clock, IMAC. Uh, we've got a bunch of games going on at the World Cup. The I think the wildest game maybe. Of the entire tournament, although that's subjective. Uh, Serbia and Cameroon this morning, 3-3 draw. That That's underway. Um, sorry, Ghana and Korea is underway right now. It's 2-0 for the Ghanaians over Korea at the half. Switzerland and Brazil coming up at 8. Another chance for everyone to watch Brazil minus the services of Neymar. And then Uruguay and Portugal at 11. It's Monday night football tonight. There's six NHL games. There's 10 NBA games, so it's a busy day in the world of the Sprots. But that's what's happening today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed you missed that? What happened? Canucks win. Canucks win twice in a matter of days. Two days, two wins. Canucks win in Vegas on Saturday, then come back with a, a tired but gutsy performance, a 4-3 overtime victory over the Sharks last night to sweep the three-game road trip. Canucks are now five and one in their last six. So do you remember last week? I think we had an ask us anything. It was on Friday. And the question was, if Canada wins a World Cup game and the Canucks fire Bruce Boudreaux, which story do you lead with on Monday? So what's the opposite of that ask us anything because the our Canucks exist, our existence right now, friend. I don't think we're going to wake up. Uh, anyone's going to wake up this morning to a press release that the Canucks have fired Bruce Boudreaux and Canada sure didn't win on Sunday against Croatia. Uh, the Canucks have now won five of six. They're nine, 10 and three. So they're still below NHL 500, but because the Western conference is frankly, so bad this season, yeah. uh, especially in the middle of the Western Conference. They're only one point back of a playoff spot, and <laughs> you're looking at a four-game homestand coming up against okay teams, but certainly winnable games. You got the Washington Capitals here on Tuesday. Caps aren't that great anymore. No, nope. Florida, Arizona, and Montreal. So we looked at this road trip, and we thought, man. You got to go into Colorado and play the defending Stanley Cup champs. Yep. But you know what? Colorado, they got a lot of injuries right now. This is not a fully stacked Colorado team. And then we said, oh, okay, yeah, but you, you go into Vegas, that's going to be tough. Well, Vegas was playing on the second of a back to back. So Vegas was actually the tired team there. The Canucks had had a couple days off, including one to party in Vegas. Yeah. And then Sunday, yeah, it was the second of a back-to-back for the Canucks, but it's San Jose. The Sharks aren't a very good team. So the Canucks took advantage of this situation. They took advantage of a depleted Colorado team. They took advantage of uh, a Vegas team that might have been a little bit tired. And frankly, Vegas hasn't been playing all that well lately. Mm -hmm. And then they beat a a team that they're supposed to beat in the San Jose Sharks, and they're 9-10-3. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, wait a minute. 
We're right back in this. Yeah, I'm I'm still tapping the brakes on this, if only because I'm almost still like upset, like irrationally angry at how the season started and just how bad. Oh, I'm furious was. that they're in this position. I'm not well, furious think of, that they're in the position. No, the, think of all think of how different it could have been if they could hold a multi goal lead. Mm-hmm. Not just a lead, a multi goal lead. Their only loss in their last six games was to Vegas. Which featured a multi-goal blown lead. They had a 4-2 lead. It's just, it's it's been such a weird and frustrating uh, start to the season yeah. because they shouldn't be in this position. They should have a better record. So, uh, big talking points from the weekend. I'll just kind of list them off and then we can run through them however we see fit. Uh, Saturday night in Vegas, story of the game, special teams without question. The Canucks put up. Not one, not two, but three power play goals. Matter of fact, it was the first three goals of the game. And uh, Pedersen came out afterwards and said it. Special teams won us the game. Special teams won us this game tonight. Uh, it was a pretty interesting eye-catching score because the Canucks led in Vegas against the Golden Knights 5 nothing at one point after that Horvat goal late in the second period. But then it was very much pack up and move on to San Jose. And the travel in between was rough. That San, o- San Jose game, you know, normally the San Jose games are 7.30 starts, but this one was a 5. So. That one actually caught me by surprise. Which one? The San Jose start time. I yeah. Was, I, I was flipping around the TV, and I was like, wait a minute, the game started already? <laughs> because the Kings played last night, too. Usually all the California teams are traditionally 7 or 7.30, like yeah. without film. They don't usually do the early start on Sunday. But I didn't like think they'd see. do that to the Canucks. I know. You know. So what happened was they left Vegas on Saturday night. There's some sort of, like... Uh, Airline restriction about when you can land or fly in San Jose. So they couldn't get into San Jose till after 2 in the morning. Right. And then to the hotel, sleep, wake up, play an earlier game than usual, and then fly home to Vancouver. So I could understand why, if at first blush, that game in San Jose, you know, the shot totals were pretty slanted towards the Sharks. Uh, if you look at the game as a sort of big picture thing, the, the Sharks did get a lot of shots on Demko, but certainly benefited from a couple very weird bounces. And... Andy and I were, t- <laughs> Andy and I were talking about uh, the Luke Cunning goal where it kind of bounced bounced off him and floated into the net, and then we also had the one that came off Ethan Bear's stick. But the reality of it is uh, that in itself, if you throw all the metrics out the door, the most important metrics is oh, we say mm-hmm. is they got two points, they got the goal from Kuzmenko. Can we play the audio because this kind of dovetails into the next thing I want to talk about? Is that uh, the Kuzmenko story is really kind of becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not exact. I know this is great analysis. I'm not exactly sure what that thing is. I don't know whether the story is going to be a great thing. I <laughs> assume you mean yeah. it's a great thing. Like Andy loves him. That's a thing. How well, could we, you well, not? well, put it this way. We talk a lot about how much the Canucks are going to have to pay Bo right. Horvat right. to keep him. Oh, yeah. Manko's Cha-ching. Kind of in the same boat. His his agent tweeted last yeah. night three money bag emojis. <laughs> that Milstein put out yeah. three money bag emojis. That was it. At, right after the goal was scored, Dan Milstein he was knows. Like, yes. He knows. Yeah, he's not a dummy. I'll say that. So, but, but there's also um, what he's kind of meant to the group, Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. and that's this is the the audio from Thatcher Demko because it's very clear that on a team that I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but has reportedly had some fractions. Within the room, maybe some personalities rubbing each other the wrong way. Right. He seems like the guy. You know that one guy that everyone just loves, mm. and and he just he's like I, I don't know. It's something about their personality. Is uh, is it possible that the Canucks got not one but 
two puppy dogs because Rip the that, puppy is, yeah. is 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 a real puppy. But mm. I've seen some of the photo shoots that Kuzmenko has been involved in. Yeah. He's either a puppy or a seven-year-old child. That's a good way of putting it, actually. We have two dogs. This is, like, adorable. Yes, have... This is why I've connected to him. So He's yeah. adorable. <laughs> yeah. We have two human dogs. They yeah. have one. Okay. Kuzmenko is definitely like mailing his letter to Santa. Oh, let's for just... sure. Yeah. He mailed it three months ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm, sure. I'm glad you brought this up because let's hear from Thatcher Demko talking about Kuzmenko. It's an interesting analysis from Demko on his new teammate who is a point-of-game player so far this season. I mean, he's a funny guy. Um, I, I mean, I always try to put myself in his shoes, and I'm like, if I was over there, like, I wouldn't be saying a word, and this guy doesn't shut up. So uh, it's it's a good thing. You know, it's it's something that brings a smile to the guy's face, and, you know, half the time he leaves the room, we don't know what he said, but it's still, um, you know, <laughs> it still makes us laugh. And, um, you know, obviously he's, he's trying to adjust not just on the ice but culturally too and uh you know the language thing is something that he's working on so uh but yeah he's been great pretty good player too he's got a lot of skill so kuzmenko's at 20 again if you had told me these numbers at the beginning of the year i would have thought the canucks would have been much 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 further ahead <laughs> the one game below nhl 500 kuzmenko is a point of game player he has 21 points in 21 games jt miller is more than a point of game player yep. 23 and 22 bo horvat is among the NHL's elite goal scorers right now with 17 through 22 games, and he's a point-of-game player. And Pedersen, who is having a phenomenal year, and by the way, that line that line kind of cooks a little bit when all three are going because McKay have had a good Petey's game last in, night as well. Petey's incredible right now. 20, 27 Petey, points in 22 games for Pedersen. They Petey, have four point-of-game players. Petey's an elite player Five at this point. Use, sorry. And it's funny that, uh, well, funny, for, but also challenging for the Canucks in that you're looking at all these players that you just listed, and we know Kuzmenko and Horvat are pending UFAs, but Petey's got a contract situation too. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to have to negotiate something uh, relatively soon. He actually can sign an extension this coming off season. And remember when the Canucks signed Pedersen to that bridge contract? There was a lot of consternation about the fact that they didn't have the cap space, or they couldn't find the cap space to sign Petey long term. Yeah. That might not have been the entire story, but it was mostly that was that was, it was how one it of the, went. One, one of the angles. Yeah. It, it was one of the angles. But then PD got off to that dreadful start last season, and a lot of people were like, "Whew!" Including myself, frankly, were like, "Phew!" Thank God the Canucks didn't sign this guy to like a seven or eight year extension with a massive cap hit because right now he looks like a shell of his former self. Mm-hmm. Well, he figured something out last season, and he finished really strong. And I think he's been even better this season. I think he's playing. I think he's playing his best hockey that he has in the NHL. He may not have the flash that he did as a rookie that we were like, "Oh my God, look at the moves that he's making out there! This is incredible." But he's just such an overall solid hockey player. I think he's their best defensive uh, forward, which is saying something because he's also their leading goal scorer. Like this is the form that drew comparisons to Pavel Datsuk. This is the form that had people going, man, is he like he he is not only a really offensive talent, but he's the type of talent, he's the type of player that can win a Selkie one day. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about so this. So how much is that going to cost? Yeah, and we've talked about this at length, um, about the importance of him emerging as not just a good 1C. It's if you're going to be a team and an organization that have Stanley Cup aspirations, he has to be able to play at the level of 
McDavid, and I use the big three now, like almost offhand, mm-hmm. but McDavid, Matthews, and McKinnon. Yeah. That's, that's the bar, really. And I know Matthews is in a different conference, and it's an entirely different conversation with Toronto. But just bear with me on this one. Those, that's really where the bar is at. And what he's doing right now is, is, be, is having that conversation where it's like, okay, the struggles in the first half of last season were clearly that, struggles. Because there was some concern that he might have peaked as a rookie and was going to plateau somewhere as being, I don't know, like he's, he's, a, he's a good 1C on a bad team and, you know, you can't, he's not going to be a leader. And by leader, I'm talking about the things you're talking about. Um, matchup guy. You know, selkie candidate. Yeah, being the, being up for major awards. The ability to be in almost every single situation and getting a tap from your coach because you're the guy in those situations. Uh, speaking of guy, being the guy in a situation, uh, kudos to Thatcher Demko for playing his way out of one over the last couple of games. Uh, he was very good last night in San Jose. 32 saves on 35 shots total. Uh, again, as we alluded to, you look at it and you're saying it's another game where he gave up you know, multi-goals, but two of the three goals came on some pretty weird bounces. Otherwise, was really effective. Got the Canucks into overtime. Got them the win. Uh, let's hear now from Bruce Boudreaux on his goalie. As Boudreaux acknowledged that, yeah, Demko's played really well in the last couple of games. Maybe, just maybe, he's turned a corner here. Here's Bruce Boudreaux on Thatcher Demko. Absolutely. Like, I mean, he was so good. I mean, the only pucks that beat him were tips or... A stupid headbutt puck, uh, you know, but uh, I thought he was really, really sharp. And uh, and that's two out of three games he's been really, really sharp. So I think he's coming coming back into the fold. Do you think Bruce considered at all playing Spencer Martin back-to-back? I think he probably considered it, yeah. And he considered it. I, yeah. I actually tweeted out uh, after the Vegas game that I would have gone back. If I'm, if I'm in his shoes, mm-hmm. and this isn't me saying I would have done this, but I was saying if I'm in his shoes – I would have probably started Martin in, in the San Jose game so, just because Demko, like they were, the, the, the vibe was good on the team after you go into Vegas and, and get that win. Plus, mm-hmm. you've you've beaten Colorado on this road trip. Spencer Martin played both those games. Yep. Do you want to risk Demko having a tough one and all the momentum yeah. just falls falls away? Now, a lot of people on Twitter disagreed with me. Said. You know, no, you, you you go with Demko. You got to get this guy going, and ultimately, Bruce did go with Demko, and it was the right decision. Uh, so they talked about it on the Hockey Night Canada panel right after the Vegas game. Like uh, Fridge and Bieksa and Rudy and Ron, that was like almost the first thing they talked about when they sat down because they knew. I mean, it's mana to the crazies in Vancouver and, and Canucks Twitter and everything is starting up a goaltending controversy, but. I I bring this up because the conversation wasn't without merit because they brought up a couple of things that you just alluded to there. Like, what if Demko went in last night and had another game where he gave up four or five goals and a loss? Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to be looking at it and saying, geez, like at what point are you going to have to flip the switch to where Martin's getting the majority share of the starts and Demko's, you know, filling in for him on an other night basis. And, you know, they, they did make the point. Like, at a certain point, you get desperate in your season where you do start to consider playing your backup yeah. In in back-to-backs, just so you can get victories. Because, again, when we talked about the standings in the West right now, it's still up for grabs. For me, it's not it's not a goaltending controversy. Like, who's your number one and who's your number two? It's it's not like I would, you know, if if you go with Spencer Martin and, and, and you ride the hot hand a little bit, it's, it's not like I'm saying that Thatcher Demko doesn't have a future with the Canucks anymore. No. I think it's just me acknowledging that 
goalies, even even the best ones, go through rough spells sometimes. And when you got a backup that's getting you wins and you're desperate for those wins, sometimes you have to consider playing the backup a little more. It's, it, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think Thatcher Demko's the type of person or the type of athlete that doesn't understand that situation. I don't think he's like some sort of egomaniac that's going to be like, well, I'm done with this team, right? That's it. He, uh, Thatcher Demko, I'm sure, would concede like, hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm played though. This season, if I and if I played a little better, the, my team would be in a better position. Depends on the guy, though. I know you say that. Oh, yeah, he'll be a, a team guy, but I can tell you from experience, depends on the goal. You were the guy. I, I, I think Demko. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely the guy. <laughs> I, I think Demko is is the the right kind of personality. Like That's you're what I'm alluding talking to, about. Yeah, it does. It's not like that for every goalie. So well, be thankful I, that no, you have I, a goalie I, like that. I 100 percent realize that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also mention, by the way, I know this has been almost exclusively Canucks, and we'll finish off with the other Canucks story of the weekend here in just a moment. But um, the, like I, as I said, if you had told me that the Canucks would have four different forwards that were at a point of game pace, I would have said, oh, they're definitely in a playoff spot. They are not. Another thing, if you had told me that at the 21 game mark, so we're now a quarter way into the season, that the Seattle Kraken would be one of the hottest teams in the Western Conference riding a five game win streak and are now just four points back of Vegas for top spot in the division with two games in hand. Would have said you were nuts, but lo and behold, here we are. The biggest surprise that we have talked literally nothing about with regards to uh, this division, the Canucks playoff implications and what have you, is that Seattle just continues to win hockey games. Wild hockey games. Yeah, too. like all of them, are they're scoring a ton of goals. Yeah. Uh, they've got a plus 15 goal differential. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, it's not like they're eking these things out. 690 points percentage. And now you look at it and you're saying, okay, Canucks are just a handful of points out of a playoff spot. I know the games played are all out of whack for everyone, so I'm not even going to bother trying to go down that road. But right now, the Canucks have played themselves back into a spot where they can start to see the wild card positions. The reason that this has happened is because the Alberta teams have been average to subpar at best. Um, you know, and I think what you're looking at the, the two well, Saint, a couple of a few teams in the central too, St. Louis, Minnesota, Nashville. Right. And they, I mean, St. Louis had the very like well-known losing streak, uh, a little while ago, LA has been okay. And then the California teams are about as bad as you would expect. Maybe I actually think Anaheim may be worse than everyone expected. So you have to kind of readjust your expectations. Now, my first one looking at this is that this is unsustainable for Seattle just based on the team that they're currently doing this with. Like, I have no idea how they're doing this. I know that they've got some really good young talent, and they got Matty Beneers, but they're down to their third goalie at times, and I just don't think the team is that talented. But the Canucks have been handed kind of a lifeline through the first two months of the season in that there were so many other teams, and this is still currently going on, that have really sputtered and skidded along teams that we thought were going to be locks for a playoff spot. So this whole situation in the West, yeah, you've got some teams that you expected to be near the top. They're at the top. But a lot of this is still very much up for grabs, and that's because a lot of slow starts on a lot of teams. The Rachel Dory situation. Yeah, okay. So that was the other story that I was alluding to, and this happened on Sunday night. Uh, Rachel Dory, who is a former employee in the Vancouver Canucks analytics department, filed a complaint against the team last week alleging discrimination by the organization when she was fired from her post in September. This happened yesterday on Twitter. Uh, She tweeted out a copy of the complaint, which was filed by her legal reps on November 22nd, so six days ago. It alleges 
that Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager Emily Castonguay made discriminatory comments about Dory's mental health while Dory was still employed by the team. So I, I just think this situation is incredibly unfortunate. Uh, the Canucks have uh, denied the allegations. Uh, they have said that they will respond accordingly at the proper time. I don't know how this is going to get resolved if the Canucks are going to um, try and mediate this situation or try and fight back vehemently in this situation. But uh, it's just, for me, without seeing the full picture, without being seeing what the Canucks' full response is, all I can su- uh, summarize is that it's incredibly unfortunate that Less than a year, less than a year after the Canucks were being lauded for their progressive hires, that one of those hires is now alleging that her, quote, sex and physical and mental disabilities played a role in the termination of her employment. Don't forget, the Canucks have also been lauded for their mental health advocacy, Mm -hmm. Uh, after Rick Rippon passed away, they became one of the real leaders in the sports world when it came to advocating uh, for mental health and taking care of yourself and going out and, and getting help. Um, you know, I, again, I mentioned the Canucks strongly disagreed with the allegations, mm-hmm. but how will they look if they, in their response, take off the gloves? To put it that way, you yeah. know, legally speaking, sure. uh, in a legal fight with a young woman with mental health issues, it, it is, it is just like mm-hmm. this could not have gone worse. Optically, it's a nightmare because you want to try and present the information as clear as possible, not editorialize, but also it's hard to look at this and say anything other than, as you put it, really unfortunate, really ugly, because you've got historically a Canucks organization that has been lauded for two things most recently, uh, their uh, diversity within the front office and then their mental health initiatives. Mm -hmm. You have someone directly challenging those core principles and tenets, and you have to take both the complainant and the club's history and try and project, sorry, try and present the information as neutrally as possible. But in saying that, it's hard not to editorialize a little bit and say that this is a really bad situation, and it's just really unfortunate that it wow. played out this way. I mean, I don't think it's editorializing to say the situation is unfortunate. That's yeah. just obvious. Uh, you know, if you're going to editorialize at all, I would suppose I'd say, you know, it's all well and good for people to be given opportunities that historically they haven't been given. It's all well and good isn't even a good way to put put it. Like. People who haven't historically been given opportunities, regardless of the reason, we need to see those people given those opportunities. But it's absolutely paramount that when they are given those opportunities, that they be put in position to succeed. Um, Because there's always going to be people out there who want to see those people fail. And if they do fail, and I don't think we can put uh, this situation, this this, uh, opportunity... It was definitely a failure the way it's the mm-hmm. way it's ended. Uh, so it's on organizations to go beyond reaping the positive PR yeah. that they get for hiring non-traditional candidates. And and I'm not just talking about sports teams, right? We've seen it in the media world, sure, where people are hired 
and the organization gets the positive PR, like, oh, they're giving this person, like, that's incredible. And then that person is not supported in the job or not prepared for the job, not ready for the job. And it goes incredibly badly for that person. And there are mental health um, consequences to that. And I think that goes double for any public-facing organization Mm -hmm. like the Canucks, or in our case, media, right? And a lot of the times, I shouldn't say a lot of the times, but there have been occasions where I've wondered about hires and I've been like, is the organization just doing this to to make themselves look good? Yeah, because that's the that's the always the knock on effect, right? Is that you get the and for lack of a better term, the publicity bounce at the start, where yeah. you get recognition for making these hires. But the key thing about it isn't the hire; it's the employment in the aftermath, right? And it's is your organization willing to do more than bring someone into the fold? Are they going to be able to thrive within your organization? Sometimes that means making changes, not just hiring someone. And say, do and act as we act. Uh, we are way up against it for time. Uh, we're going to do the soccer story next. Uh, I will say that Sunday was a pretty uh, emotional day, very mixed emotions from myself in particular, uh, as Canada bowed out of the 2022 World Cup. Yes, they do still play the next game, folks. For those that are unaware, they still have to play that scheduled game against Morocco, even though they have been eliminated from the tournament. We're going to go to Qatar. We're going to talk to Peter Galindo from Sportsnet about the match, what Canada got right, and more importantly, all the things that they got wrong in a 4-1 loss to Croatia. Despite scoring their first goal ever at a World Cup, Canada is out. We'll talk to Peter Galindo next about all that on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. And Bruff. Pedersen is the main story for me because let's say the Canucks go to him this offseason when he he can sign an extension. Yeah. Now he doesn't have a contract, he does have a contract still for next season, but he can sign that extension this offseason. Let's say they go to him and he's like, you know what? I'm not ready to sign an extension yet. Mm-hmm. Because you remember the comments that he made. I think they were in the summer of 2021. And that was before he'd signed his three-year bridge deal. So the the possibility of signing... No, wait a minute. It must have been after the bridge deal because he said, um, I just want to I just want to have a chance to win. I just want to play for a winning team and that'll be my decision when my contract expires Mm -hmm. it was it was in august of 2021 so it was right in the heart of the off season and the line was uh he emphasized his desire to quote unquote play for a team that's winning right that was with uh ufe bowden of hockey sphere i remember ufe ended up doing like eight hits in vancouver after that because it was well i'm not it was a big deal at the time and and, and some people criticized petterson for for making those comments and other people said oh fair enough i thought it was crazy Uh, that he got criticized for saying he wanted to play somewhere where he could win yeah Seems like a breaking, logical breaking thing. news. Good athlete also wants to win. Competitive athlete enjoys victory. I don't. I mean, it, anyway, that's we're kind of losing the the point here. The point is that after a difficult season last year, especially the first half of it, um, there were a lot of questions as to whether the long term marriage was good for both parties. Yeah, now, there were a lot of disappointed Canucks fans, and I know fans don't sign the contracts, but there was a lot of people that were wondering, who is this guy as a player? 
And that was fair because yeah. you, you had the rookie campaign in which he seemed like he was on a rocket ship to start him, right? There were few people questioning where his ceiling was going to be. A lot of people assumed it was going to be among the elite centers in the NHL. Then last season, or really the last two seasons happened. The wrist injury, missing extensive time, the contract holdout, I suppose we'll call it, and then getting off to a really slow start and playing the first 25, 30 games of the season last year where he looked wildly ineffective at times. Mm-hmm. That all seems like it's in the rear view. The optimist stance on this, which we are not, so I'm kind of diving into uncharted waters here, but the optimist stance is that last year is actually going to end up ultimately benefiting Pedersen because he went through adversity and got through it and has rediscovered exactly what kind of player he can be. And by that, I mean dominant. Mm-hmm. Now comes the other side of this conversation, <laughs> which is you are going to have to pay this guy, assuming he's going, and not assuming, the level that he's playing at, you're going to have to pay premium top-line dollars for a number one bona fide all-round center mm-hmm. who has got a lot of UFA years <laughs> to be paid out and is still of an age where you can say his best hockey might not be behind him. Like That's the biggest thing. Bo Horvat's best hockey as, as, as a full-fledged NHL player might have already happened. Oh, or he's playing it right now. This year could be it. Yeah. Right? If Horvat scores 40 this year, mm-hmm. are you banking on him to have a lot more 40-goal seasons as he gets closer to 30? No. It's like what uh, Toronto did with the Tavares contract. You're yeah. going to get two or three good years out of it, and then it's going to stink. But Pedersen's the opposite. Pedersen's, you know, he, he just turned 24 a couple weeks ago. So you're going to have, theoretically, age years 25, 26, 27, mm-hmm. prime. Yeah, and that's where he's going to be a prime number one center in the NHL. Like when the Canucks got off to the dreadful start this season, not to be confused with the dreadful start last season or the dreadful start the season before, the current dreadful start season, I honestly started wondering if even if the Canucks didn't want to rebuild, if they'd be forced to rebuild because Petey would just go to them and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not signing here. Mm-hmm. We've seen more and more young players force their way out of situations, mostly to Winnipeg. It mostly happens to Winnipeg. Where it's oh, weird. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's strange. It, it, Just get it, me out of here. It's weird, but build an airport and fly me away from this place. <laughs> yeah, but they do have that power now, right? Or they, they, maybe they always had it, and they were just afraid to to wield that power. But the way Petey could orchestrate things here, let's say he wants to get out, he said he would just be like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna take my qualifying offers until I'm UFA, and then I'm gone." Or and what we saw, uh, Matthew Kachuk did yeah. this in Calgary too, right? I mean, that would be the most recent comparison, and not even Winnipeg related. Um, Matthew Kachuk goes like, I don't want to sign here long term. And they could have kicked the can down the road and been like, well, mm-hmm. stay a little longer and maybe we can change your mind. But they said, well, we have to get something for you now. We have to get that haul for you. I'm not saying that Petey's going to do this. But You're just laying when, out an option. When, when you have this, I'm just, I'm just laying out the – You're freaking me out, Jason. Well – Kachuk should be a, a warning shot across the league. Young players are taking more control of of their futures. They Even if they are technically RFA, which means they're still club controlled, they're willing to look at the situation and go, hey, if I don't want to be here, I'm going to force my way out of here. There is a little bit of an antiquated 
notion about being drafted and growing up somewhere and I became a man in this city and then someone saying at like 22, 23, 24, hey, why don't I set myself up so I get to play where I want to play and I get to do what I want to do with all this money moving forward for the next eight years. I mean, that's one of the... Look, the the NHL can't have it both ways on this one. They can't expect (laughs) this insane amount of loyalty from players when they're easily disposable. I mean, the only thing that's really saving any of them is the guaranteed contracts, but they yeah. can be, but um, if you're going to have contract lengths this long, double the length of what they've got in the NBA, and you're asking someone routinely to commit to a place for that long, then you have to think that things like Kachuk are going to happen. Like Kachuk, he's like, well, I know Calgary wants to sign me, to an eight-year deal or a long-term extension. Yeah, That's I don't the most, know if I, don't, if I want that. But it's the know? most obvious thing for Calgary. Yeah. You go long. The longer you can go, the more you can you know, minimize that cap hit. And it works for you. And theoretically, it works for the players because they get a truckload of money. But what Kachuk did, and the important thing here as it pertains to Pedersen, is he was kind of lauded in the end for telling Calgary way ahead of time, I'm not signing here long-term. Yeah. Hell, Dubois has done it two years in advance in Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm going to take one qualifying offer, yeah. and then I'm going to take another he's like, as he, long as I get out of here, though. Like, you know, in like 2025, when I don't have to be here anymore, I'm going to leave. It's nice that he's giving him a, such advance notice, though. The yeah. Like, by living, the way, by the way. Tree Living has come out and said, like, Kachuk, in the end, ended up doing us a solid. Because instead of hanging on and everyone just saying, well, we'll just wait this thing out with everybody else. He gave them a year's notice to move me now when my value is highest. And I mean, the, the trade that they got with Florida, I remember that when that trade went down, everyone was like, wow, he got traded. Wow. That's a huge price they paid. So they got a lot of assets in return. So the question becomes, how are the Canucks going to manage all this? We got a text in here yesterday. One of the hosts was talking about Kuzmenko's future contract and saying he could get five by five. So a five-year deal worth $25 million, which this texter thinks is crazy. It is based on one season. Yeah, but he's a pending unrestricted free agent. This is the Kuzmenko contract. We're this is the about, right? Kuzmenko yeah, the contract we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. This is uh, – the Canucks are going to have to make some priorities here. Either that or they're going to have to get real aggressive in moving out some bad money. Well, that you. OEL contract is just staring us right in the face because let's say they let's say the Canucks are sitting there going, we want to keep all these players. We want to yeah. keep Horvat. We want to keep Kuzmenko. We want to keep Petey. That becomes pretty tough to do, especially with a contract like OEL's on the books. Um, do they keep JT Miller then? These are all questions that they're going to have to ask themselves while also saying, is this the right avenue to go? Is it the right avenue to try and keep all these guys? Because uh, guess what? Well, I can't keep We're them. still not N- at NHL 500. The Kuzmenko thing is going to end up being really unfortunate because through 20 games, I kind of got a clearer picture now of, and I think this was always the plan at the time, was that um, Kuzmenko needed to come to North America. If he was going to get paid big, he needed to come to North America and very quickly show what he's worth, right? Like, he couldn't have a middling sort of year, and he couldn't have one where it was like, I think this guy might be an NHL player, but he might not be. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be like Jesse Pugliarvi, where it was like, oh, he's got talent and tantalizing potential, but he kind of looks like a dog at times. He needed this. So the Canucks presented this great option where they're like, I'll tell you what, 
you'll get to play on a line with Pedersen. That should probably boost your sure. chances. And then the Milstein camp came back and they're like, okay, look, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a bargain here regardless because when Kuzmenko comes in, he's not gonna sign for a ton of money, right? Yeah. There's, there's a set amount, and you're in a season where you need high end production for cheap. The deal mm-hmm. works right now. Is working great for everybody. I don't think this was ever meant to be more than a one year thing in Vancouver. Oh, oh I don't know. That. No, that's no. Soccer, but, but what not, how are they going to afford it? How, how would you afford move contracts out for Kuzmenko? Who are you going to move out? I don't know. Start with someone, and move that Tyler person Myers, out, and then maybe? get another person and that's move that a, person out. But you, but he's a luxury because you need to address your defense. I don't want to lose. Well, Kuzmenko. if they don't sign, if they don't, <laughs> sign, they have to find a way to, to keep him. I, I just don't think it was ever meant to be more than a one year. What thing. do you mean it wasn't meant to be a one year deal? He's not going to go and make a decision be- on, on like I'm going to go to this team and just and then. Jump off to some other team. I, don't I mean, think I see what he's saying. Maybe the Canucks can't decision. afford him. Maybe the Canucks, that's yeah. They just can't. I think they won't be able to afford keep him. But I think the reality is, is they know that there's greater payday elsewhere than Vancouver. Well, I think this. I think this management group is going to more aggressively try and shed salary this off season. And I think, to be fair to them, it's going to get easier because we can start to see the cap rising. But with that a cap little space, bit. what do you need to address? Your blue line. Like without question, all mm-hmm. the monies, all the, all of it should be. You need to, and it's not one guy. I mean, we, there are so many balls in the air right now that we can just keep coming back to. Like, well, you know that the, the Kuzmenko situation gets solved with if Bo Horvat doesn't, if they don't lock Horvat up. And I'm that, surprised you, you guys know? are pushing back so vehemently against this. Like, he's a winger, but he's. He's, so he's great, yeah, but they they're paying a lot of money for Brock Besser, who's uh, an offensive. Well, that's a winger. contract that they'll probably try and move. And they're, yeah, but, and then Connor Garland is another one. And that's a contract <laughs> that they're probably going to try and move. And I again, and I go back to my original point: is it going to be one even feasible that they can move them? Two, you're going to move the contracts of goal scoring wingers to pay. UFA years for a goal scoring. I get what you're winner. saying. It'll be difficult. It'll be difficult. <laughs> no, it's I'm not going to be an I, easy thing. To, I, under, I, I get you. I'm, I'm genuinely you. surprised that you guys think that it's going to be like almost. Oh, next don't to a get pop. me wrong. If Kuzmenko was of, gone, I wouldn't be surprised by it. I'd be like, okay, they just can't afford him. I and get it's it. had redundant. Uh, with the, with this roster constructed, yeah, but I just think they're going to prioritize moving other contracts besides Kuzmenko, a guy that was like a good win for the organization that seems to have pretty good chemistry with arguably their best player. I am sure that they are going to try and keep him, mm-hmm. but he, like I would be. Stunned. I'm not pushing back. No one's pushing back on the on the fact that it's going to be. <laughs> I a just challenge imagine to losing him. him. That's I, all. But I don't think it was ever a one year thing. I don't think that was ever the plan that because for the Canucks or Kuzmenko, I think right that now. they'd sign here that he'd sign here. And you're like, what, what, we're going to trade him at the deadline? Or it was just like a like a rental for No, it was a Kuzmenko? great situation for – yeah, it was a great situation for both parties. The Kuzmenko camp gets yeah. him playing on a line with Pedersen, and his numbers blow up. The question overhanging all of this is how are the Canucks going to shed salary? It was the – it was the the question of last offseason, and the answer was uh, they won't mm. because they either weren't able to or they weren't willing to part with the right sweeteners in order to shed salary – so you kick the can down the road, as the Canucks are often want to do, yeah. uh, to this offseason, and you ask the question, all right, well, is it going to be easier to shed salary this offseason? Mm-hmm. Well, the cap wi- going up by four mil will help. It should help, yeah. yeah. And, and how willing are the Canucks going to be to play ball? Are they going to be willing to part with a sweetener <laughs> in order to get rid of some of these contracts? Are they going to buy out – 
Oliver Ekman Larson. How are they going to be able to do that? We we threw out the scenario uh, the other day. Like, let's say you go to a team that desperately needs more talent up front, mm-hmm. right? And maybe it's a little similar to like Florida and Vegas in the expansion draft. Who are the so the so Florida got uh, sorry Vegas got what was it Marcia So and was it Riley Smith? Yep. Was that how it went down? Two-thirds of a line. Right, and, and everyone criticized Florida badly for that, and rightly so. But let's say the Canucks were, go to, were, were to go to a team and say, hey, we're trying to clear cap space. It's really hard to do that. We'll give you Garland and Besser for free. How but many people would free? Because <laughs> they tie up so much cap space. Yeah, but but some the teams reason, need players. Sometimes the reason the reason no no no, 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 no work, just, right? just 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 bear with me here. That's uh-huh. it for free. And and dude, cap space is not nothing, right? Cap no, space is something. The Canucks need cap space. You're all worried about Kuzmenko, and then you're like, they're going to give away Besser for free. You got to make decisions. You got to make decisions, right? You have to sometimes, give up. Sometimes you have to give up. Sometimes you got to. Yeah, you got to give it to you. Would you be willing to do that? Because okay, well, the alternative is you're like, all right, well, uh, we're giving up our first round draft pick to get rid of a contract. Yeah, or we're no, giving no. up uh, – actually, we don't have any prospects, so we can't give up one of those it prospects. It just seems crazy right? you'd be like, giving away a player like Besser for Especially since nothing. you just signed him. Well, you can't have him. it all. You can't have Why it all. Why not? Especially <laughs> since you just signed him to an extension. And he's summer. playing well. He's got – what's his point streak at now? Nine he, games? He's almost a point a game guy. He's, he's minus 12. I know we all love plus minus, so that's bad. But he's a point a game guy. Yeah. 14 he's and 16. He's having a good year. There are – and then and then Halford brings up the, the, the elephant in the room. It's just like, you still got to improve your blue line, right? Yeah. Like, so ah. you might – so you ah. might have to – no, no, no. But you, you, you're probably going to have to trade assets yeah. to improve your blue line. This is why asset management matters. Because all right? – you know, this, this stuff is, piles This is up. why it all – this is why all matters. And people say, like – Ah, it doesn't matter about this guy, or it doesn't matter about this guy, but it's like death from a thousand paper cuts, yeah. right? Like, that's kind of what the Canucks have done in the last little bit. They haven't managed their cap space well. They haven't managed their uh, – they haven't drafted enough prospects. You know, like, it all it all adds up to the point where you've got these negative contracts on the books that you're going to – that you need to move to improve your team – but it costs to move those contracts. You know those episodes of Hoarders where finally the pile of junk gets too big? Yeah, it just falls <laughs> on top of people. And buries them alive. Yes. Yeah, there's kind of an analogy to be made there. <laughs> not exactly. There's not like an old birdcage on Jim Rutherford's head as he's lying on the ground. No, but, no, no. No, but uh, it's like it's problematic. And I feel bad like saying it all up. Someone said Halford hates Canada and Vancouver now. And I'm like, <laughs> that wasn't really my intention. But I, I again... Can I also throw out, could you imagine, let's just say hypothetically, they make this huge emotional push to try and keep Kuzmenko, and then Besser, or sorry, Horvat's sitting there like, anyone going to prioritize me at any point during this process? Like, am I ever going to be at the front of the line? Yeah. Because he got- It is crazy. It is crazy all the things that this management group still has to do. He's got- There are so many decisions, and, and, and hanging over all of this- is the fact that the Canucks might be in a position at the trade deadline where they have to go, uh, go for it or sell, right? Yeah. Can you imagine like they're yeah. they're they're one point back of a wild card spot right now. The West is wide open. The West sucks. You, you can, the West does <laughs> suck. So the West sucks right now. So in theory, you could get to around the trade deadline, and the Canucks are kind of where they are right now, where they've still got a chance, but there's also a chance they could miss. 
And what has this management group said? If we don't have guys locked up, but they're pending UFAs, we got to get assets for them. So right now, that's Horvat, who's having an unbelievable goal uh, goal Tied scoring season, and, and and Kuzmenko, who Andy's in love with, right? Everybody so, is. The text inbox is like, we would prefer Kuzmenko over Besser. Uh, yeah, but so it begs the question. It begs the question: How far are you willing to go to shed salaries? How, what are you willing to do? Because you've got some contracts on the books that are so-so. Like I don't know what Besser's market value is right now. I don't know what Garland's market value is right now. But there is a part of me that's te- that that would be tempted, like if. If you could give those guys away for free and what you'd get is the cap space, I might be like, yeah, I'd be tempted to do that. Oh, you're absolutely tempted to do it. Yeah. I just think it's almost like a – it's tough to think who's going to be able to bring that on, that, that, that cap hit, right? Because I can't imagine that being given away for free is going to greatly enhance your market value. If someone said, hey, do you want this $6 million goal-scoring winger for free, I'd be like, what's wrong with it? Mm-hmm. Why? Why are you giving it to me for free? Is he not an asset? And then you well, look like, at Pacioretty. Pacioretty. Is Pacioretty a better player than Besser? I think he is, and he was free. Yep, and uh, Bjorkstrand was free mm-hmm. as well. Yep. I just don't know where they stack up comparatively. Besser has three goals this year. The, that's what we don't know. the The market has been sent so much into flux yes. and uncertainty because of the flat salary cap. Everything changed. Connor Garland at 4.5 mil today mm-hmm. is kind of problematic. When the cap rises, it's less. Yeah. But you've got two of those guys, right? You've got Besser and you've got Garland that you we just finished talking about. It's like, would you have to give them away to clear space to, one, try and keep the guys you want to keep, and then, two, improve your team. Get better. Get a better blue line. Get better guys playing defense, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's where I just – if you take a step back and you look at it, it's like this is a – it, you you said it. It's it's a real mess because it's the cumulative effect, the knock on effect of uh, kind of a bad decision there, maybe an overpay here. Yeah, uh, we moved out some stuff here because we had to fix this problem here, and that's and that's. Do you where think you end this keeps Rutherford not, not, not and Alvin up at defenseman? night? <laughs> yeah, right. Do you think it, what? Do, do you think this keeps Rutherford and Alvin up at night? My no, God, I hope so. This yeah, seems but, like a difficult job to do. Yeah. Well, I think like, they, I don't envy them. I think last I don't know what to do. They've mentioned it several times that they, I think that they thought moving out money was going to be not necessarily easier, but more feasible. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it'll be difficult, but we can do it. And then they came back and they're like, we can't. No one wants to do this right now. So that adds another gigantic layer to this entire thing. Sean and Port Moody, maybe I missed him, but what would you do with the cap space that you freed up? Like, sign the, the guys. <laughs> sign <laughs> the guys. Like, and also try and improve it, yeah. the team. Give away all another tears. <laughs> no, <laughs> say, we're clearing the decks to keep Kuzmenko. That's the plan, <laughs> yes, apparently. Yes. Yeah. I hear Louis Erickson's becoming available soon. Yeah, it's 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 kind of funny that we got here. And this it's a great conversation to have because – like I, I think it just underscores all the decisions that are facing the Canucks over terrifying. the next little while. So, someone, someone, all the all the while, uh, there is considerable debate about what the Canucks are right now. This trade what deadline could be insane, and it could also be incredibly disappointing. Yeah, I but, wouldn't be surprised with either. Well, yeah, like the other thing too is like, I mean, he, just so we're clear, uh, someone texted in and was getting upset. They're like, they didn't bring Kuzmenko here to showcase him. What I said, and I very clearly and definitively stated this, is that it was a super beneficial one-year agreement for both teams. I don't for, for the team Kuzmenko yeah. and for Team Canucks. 
But I, I don't think it was a one. You called it a one-year project, and I don't think it is. I, I said think, it was I, always destined to be a one-year deal with Vancouver. I, like, I don't think he'll be back. I will you don't say that, think Kuzmenko's no, going to be back? No, I don't think he'll be on the team next okay. year. Because <sighs> I think, yeah. Well, to be fair, Halford also thought that Rick Taka would be hired today. So No, you know, December his, 1st. <laughs> his, his predictions aren't always... On As money. I say with the predictions, the key is to throw at a lot of them. Don't <laughs> think about them. And then in the aftermath, just con- convince people you were talking about something different. Right. Yeah. That's the way that you just do throw it. throw a you, lot of them eventually one of them will end. Yeah. N- normally, people don't uh, change their predictions, though, within the same segment that they made those predictions. Uh, some people call it gaslighting. I like to think of it as creative interpretation. Mm-hmm. Many people say. Many people are saying. You're hearing it more and more. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.